Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We're a team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my beautiful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today. And today we have back on Dr. Diana Garnita. She is going to talk, be talking about psoriatic arthritis, and that's a big, long name. So she's going to actually define what that is and how it's misdiagnosed and not caught early enough. And if we have time today, we're going to be talking about NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and how they can affect your heart. So, Dr. Ganita, welcome back to our show. Hi, Sean, and hi, Janet. Very nice to be back. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about a topic that I'm very passionate about, psoriatic arthritis. Well, so tell us. Um, go ahead and define what that is for those of us that don't know. Perfect. So psoriatic arthritis, it's an inflammatory type of arthritis. What it means is that it's going to affect very young people or it can affect, um, you know, people that are middle age, but primarily people that have psoriasis. There are also situations when uh, patients that were not officially diagnosed with psoriasis where they did not develop psoriasis, they can develop psoriatic arthritis. Mm. And in general, about 20% of people with a diagnosis of psoriasis, they will develop psoriatic arthritis in their life. Interesting. So how do you usually catch that then? So um, psoriasis, as you know, is a skin disease. It's an autoimmune disease, but it's what we see on the surface. We see the inflammation at the level of the skin. And those patients, they do, prevent, they do present to the physicians, usually to the dermatologists with these skin changes. The skin changes, they look like a rash which is um, sometimes red, sometimes uh, it looks like, um, you know, pierced postules, but it can also um, be located in certain areas that um, are not very visible when you diagnose, when you meet the patient. So uh, most of the time psoriasis affects the scalp area, behind the ears, in the ears, or it can affect the elbows, the knees, and sometimes the genital areas. So when it's hidden in the scalp or in the genital areas, if you don't look at the patient as a whole, you might get um, that rash missed. I see. So Jen, do you have any questions about psoriatic arthritis? So I'm assuming it's overlooked because the patient might be already using products for it as well, over-the-counter products, or they've heard from a friend to use um, Benadryl or something like that. Is that part of the picture as well? Yes, uh, that's very, very true. Actually, you know, the patients will go to the pharmacy and will uh, pick up one of the over-the-counter products like a hydrocortisone cream. And for a while, they can control the, the skin disease with that. And that's why many of them uh, will also try all kinds of shampoos uh, that because they initially they can think uh, this is dandruff or something else, but it's uh, it could be psoriasis. And it takes a while until they go to the to the um, uh, primary care physician and disclose those symptoms to them. So, as a rheumatologist, how would they? Um, how would you? How would they get to you? How would they know that there's um, any kind of arthritis involved? Um, how do you get the word out there about that? 
that anybody with psoriasis should be looking into looking at a, going to a rheumatologist. Is that kind of where you're saying what you're saying? Not everybody that has uh, psoriasis, they should come to us. But if they have symptoms uh, of arthritis, like joint pain, and we're going to talk in detail about the types of joint pain that they have, they should consider to see a rheumatologist. Unfortunately, patients that um, have psoriasis, when they go to their dermatologist, they will concentrate their appointment on the skin. So the dermatologist um, will most of the time address their main problem, the skin changes. But when they go to the primary care physician, they don't mention the skin, but they just mention the joints. And um, most of the time they will say, I have joint pain in my hands or I have tendonitis. And there are some situations of psoriatic arthritis that will affect the eyes. So the, those patients can develop uveitis. So again, when they go to the ophthalmologist, they are concerned about uh, uh, the inflammation in the eyes and they treat the inflammation in the eyes. So in all these, uh, you know, rendezvous that they have, something is missed, either the joint pain or the skin. So in order to put all these things together, the primary care physician, if he finds out that the patient has a diagnosis of psoriasis, they should ask the patient if they have joint pain. Because if you have psoriasis and you have joint pain or tendonitis, and if you develop an eye problem like inflammation in the eye, that those are classic signs of psoriatic arthritis. Now, the joint pain, we can talk about that a little bit because that's also important. Those patients are usually young patients. So there is no reason in the world when you are in your 30s or 40s to have joint pain or swelling. And that's why those patients will wake up with pain and swelling in the joints, but they will also wake up with a lot of stiffness in the mornings. That's a sign of an inflammatory arthritis. As they move on in their day and as they move and do more exercise, that stiffness goes away. But if they sit down, that stiffness comes back. So that's a very important uh, sign to recognize in people with inflammatory arthritis in general. I see. So are most primary care doctors, are they trained to, if somebody has psoriasis on the skin, are they trained to ask about joint pain? Um, they should think about it uh, and they should ask about it. Uh, so if a patient comes to you or to a primary care physician and they say, I have psoriasis, but I also have joint pain, they should start asking those questions. When is the pain worse? Is the, is the pain worse in the morning? Do you have stiffness? Do you have swelling in the joints? And what's particular for psoriatic arthritis is that it can affect it can affect multiple joints, but it's not an asymmetric pattern. You know, in rheumatoid arthritis, you have both hands, both feet, both knees affected most of the time at the same time. So there is this bilateral onset of symptoms. But in psoriatic arthritis, you can have one finger or one toe or one uh, knee affected. And then a few months later, you can have the other one. And um, that's particular for psoriatic arthritis, the fact that it's not bilateral and it can skip joints. Um, patients with psoriatic arthritis can have swelling of one finger. We call that dactylitis. 
And, you know, in layman terms, we call it sausage, sausage digits, or, all right? Uh -huh. So when you see one, one finger swelling up or one toe swelling up, don't necessarily think it's gout because I had that situation as well. That's what I would have thought. <laughs> yes. Don't necessarily think about that. If you have psoriasis, I had a couple of patients that they actually had psoriasis and for months they were treated as gout and they were not responding, of course, but in fact, they were having psoriatic arthritis. And interestingly, psoriasis can increase the uric acid and can increase the risk to develop gout. So you can see those phenomenons, those diagnoses at the same time unfortunately, because all this turnover that we have at the, at the skin level because of psoriasis, all the skin that is inflamed could generate more uric acid in our body, and that will generate a gout attack. That makes sense. Okay. One of the things that you talk about is, is misdiagnosis and early treatment for um, psoriatic arthritis. So what happens if they don't get early treatment? What's the benefit of getting early treatment? So there are two main things that I will consider. First of all, um, that pain can be very disabling and the patients will lose time from work. They will, of course, they will be uncomfortable. But in time, if you don't let this treated, you can um, have deformities. And sometimes psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis actually can be so destructive. Uh, the arthritis can destroy the joints so rapidly, much more than rheumatoid arthritis. So I've seen patients that one phalanx, it's completely destroyed and you will see telescoping fingers, you will see severe deformities. And um, again, that fire that comes with the inflammation can destroy the joints more rapidly. That's the, the, the risk that I see um, in the first, you know, the first look. At the second look, I see that ongoing chronic inflammation, like we talked in the previous podcast, will generate an increased risk for cardiovascular disease because psoriatic arthritis generates a lot of inflammation and that inflammation will increase your risk for developing cardiovascular disease. And again, you will end up with doubling your risk for a myocardial infarction or stroke or heart failure. Jenna, do you have any questions for Dr. Granita? So is there any, I mean, is is it permanent damage if they don't get this corrected? If that's what I'm understanding, it's not something that we can uh, change um, with any therapy? The therapy um, stops the, progressing, the progression of the disease. We do not cure the disease, but with the new treatments that we have, it's very, very possible to stop the progression of the disease. So um, we do have a lot of treatments available these days to treat patients with psoriatic arthritis, and they usually respond very well to treatment. The first thing that we see is the skin clearing up very rapidly. And then in a couple of months after that, we see the joints and the joint pain going away. So in a matter of about three to four months, the maximum up to six months, 
you could see uh, these patients coming back to their normal activity, normal life. Wow. So speaking of treatments, what are some of the treatments, traditional so, treatments? Yes. Um, initially, we treated patients with psoriatic arthritis with anti-inflammatory medication. Okay. But um, after a while, and prolonged use of anti-inflammatory medication can generate other side effects, as you all know, including increased cardiovascular risk, you know, gastrointestinal perforation, uh, kidney issues. So all of these things could be generated by overuse or prolonged use of anti-inflammatory medication. That's the first line in therapy. The second line in therapy, we call this disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs like sulfasalazine or methotrexate. There are not many, many studies, powerful studies to support methotrexate. However, we are forced by insurance companies to use methotrexate as the first, I mean, kind of in the first lines of therapy for psoriatic arthritis. But if that doesn't work, then we step ahead, and this is a stepwise approach to the biologic medication. And we talk here about different classes of medication, like TNF inhibitors are very well used in, um, in uh, are very well used and with good response in uh, psoriatic arthritis, like Humira or Adalimumab. Um, that's a drug that we use uh, a lot, where Symphony um, or Golimumab, it's called Golimumab. So those are anti-TNF inhibitors, because as you all know, TNF um, is an inflammatory cytokine. And then the newest class of medication, newer classes of medication are called IL-17 inhibitors. And those are very powerful drugs, much more targeted towards um, inflammation generated by um, this process in psoriasis. And we also have a newer class of medication called JAK inhibitors. So we have options for patients. And so, there are two other classes too, um, you know, like Apremilast or Tesla, we can use that as well. I think I've seen a lot of these advertised on TV. Um, I think we were watching a program last night and they, they were advertising one of these. Um, so speaking of treatment, what about, what, what are the causes? I mean, is there anything, do we know any of the root causes here? Is there some kind of event that throws them into psoriatic arthritis or is it um, some kind of chronic, you know, thing, or is it acute? How does that, what causes it? Do we know? We, unfortunately, we don't know. We know that there might be a genetic predisposition towards uh, psoriasis and, you know, towards um, psoriatic arthritis, but we don't know exactly what cause, um, what is the cause for psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis. Um, and um, we don't know how to prevent it, unfortunately, but we know um, as we discussed for other inflammatory conditions or autoimmune diseases, 
We know if we adjust the diet to be an anti-inflammatory diet, we have a better chance to control that. We know that if patients stop smoking, they do respond better to treatment and they have a less aggressive disease. And we also know that controlling our weight, especially for patients with psoriatic arthritis, unfortunately, obesity is maintaining this and overweight, um, overweight people, they will have uh, worse outcome, poorer control of psoriasis. And um, we do encourage patients to lose weight and um, adopt a very healthy lifestyle. Speaking of anti-inflammatory diet, can you go into a little bit about what some of this might, might not be familiar with what an anti-inflammatory diet is. So what is your definition of anti-inflammatory diet or is it different for everybody? I think that we use the term anti-inflammatory diet when we look at some principles of nutrition. You know, I usually uh, use the term of nutrition instead of diet because many patients, when you label it as a diet, right. they think it's something restrictive and um, it's very hard for them to conceptualize that. Um, when I talk about inflammation um, and nutrition, I feel like patients are more open to that kind of idea. I will tell you a couple of principles of that diet, and uh, we can go in depth into that because I'm mm -hmm. very excited to talk about that, the anti-inflammatory nutrition um, in another session. But as a principle, you should fill your plate. Um, half of the plate should be full of vegetables and fruits. But the vegetables, I tell my patients, try to cut them and eat them raw. Don't prepare them thermically. Because if you prepare them thermically, they lose a lot of the you know, value nutrition value that they have. And um, the more colorful your plate is, the better it is. I tell them, choose a rainbow of, uh, of vegetables. Try to choose as colorful, as many of them to be more colorful. That's one thing. Uh, second, fruits. I do encourage my patients to eat a lot of fruits, berries in particular, cherries and um, enzymatic fruits like papaya or, um, or uh, pineapple um, or mango. Those are very good fruits to eat. The other thing is to use olive oil. And I do recommend to use the unfiltered cold pressed olive oil. So the real one, not the processed one and stay away from other oils that are on the market like corn oil or um, um, the canola oil or you name it. So I do encourage them to use that. I also encourage them to eat a handful of nuts every single day. Um, I do encourage them to eat um, a lot of fibers and the recommended amount of fibers, it's about 25 grams per day. But, you know, usually people here in the United States, they eat about 12 grams a day. And fibers you can have from legumes like lentils or chickpeas or beans. You can get fibers from uh, multigrain bread you know, um, and all these vegetables, they are full of fibers. So that's, that's the source of fibers. The other thing that I recommend is to eat less red meat and usually less meat in general and more fish. And I do recommend to eat the wild caught fish. 
other things. I do recommend to drink a lot of water, about three liters of water every day, and stay away from sugary drinks. Anything with sugar, it's a problem. I tell them, if you can reduce sugar to zero, that's great. If you cannot, then I'm okay with that. But try to remove as much sugar from your diet because sugar creates a lot of inflammation into our body. So that's a big recommendation. And I do recommend them to eat, if they want to indulge themselves, dark chocolate, but not a lot. Maybe. Right, right. Moderation, not too Moderation much. Right? <laughs> so um, that's kind of the uh, recommendation in a very short time. But we can discuss about all of this in depth. That was very helpful because I don't think a lot of people know what an anti-inflammatory diet is. And, um, you know, basically what you're describing, really, I think when it gets down to simple terms is, you know, you're eating real food for one, um, no processed stuff. And, you know, I always tell my patients one of the easy things to remember is if it doesn't rot, don't eat it. And all the foods you were talking about, they're, they're whole foods. They will rot. So just eat. You know, start out with eating non-processed stuff is probably a pretty good tip. Yes, I agree. So I also tell my patients, and I think I mentioned that in our first podcast, when they enter into a supermarket, the first thing that they see, they see the aisle full of stuff. Go away from there. Go to the produce area, which is many times behind those uh, those aisle. Go there and whatever you see, that doesn't carry a label like apples, tomatoes, you know, cucumbers, they don't right. carry a label, right? You don't have to read on the label right. what's inside. Pick that instead of picking something that has a lot of um, instructions about what is inside that product. Janet, do you have any questions on diet or comments? No, but I do have comments because I, I think it is easier to shop the perimeter and for a lot of clients too, I find um, most people are intolerant to dairy as well. So, um, you know, staying away from a lot of dairy in your diet probably is going to be very helpful for some people as well. Um, and as far as products go, if they are looking for grain uh, in their bread, there's gluten-free products that are just amazing now where prior in the last 10 years, they've came a long way. So, you know, if those are concerns and you already know that something irritates you, you know, eliminate those things. And it's pretty easy to do now. And um, I know Sean has intolerances to certain dairy. And, and so we find what works and um, avoid a large amount. And that makes your gut happier, too. So I'm sure that's going to take away inflammation as well. I have to agree with you. And I actually forgot to mention that I do encourage my patients to eat uh, more like yogurt and I give them tips how to do the yogurt in the house and uh, kefir is also one of the fermented uh, ways of dairy but um, if you like milk uh, you should avoid the cow milk and try to incorporate like uh, coconut milk or almond milk. Those are very, very healthy for, uh, for people. And on top of that, I do recommend to try fermented food, you know, like sauerkraut or pickles, because those are the foods that, as we discussed in the past, those are foods that will enhance your good bacteria in the gut mm -hmm. and will make that inflammation going down. So those are also very important 
aspects of our um, um, nutrition. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I so appreciate that you, you know, institute nutrition into your practice because I think so many times in traditional medicine that we miss that. And, you know, diet is so important. In fact, diet can cause a lot of problems sometimes. So um, I think it's important that we, 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 we educate our patients that, you know, diet is very, very important. So I appreciate you doing that, Dr. Cornita. I have to tell you, Sean, that when I went through medical school and then through residency, nobody talked to me about nutrition. And I discovered that by myself, listening to my patients. And then I took a course, a three-month course, very intensive at Stanford, that educated me about nutrition science. So everything that I recommend is based on a lot of science, is not voodoo medicine. All of this is back up by many studies uh, that were done in uh, larger cohorts and it was proven not only by life but it was proven to work in patients with chronic diseases and inflammatory diseases and autoimmune diseases. Yeah and I've seen patients that have psoriasis. Now, why they had psoriatic arthritis, I have no idea. I'm going to start asking some of those questions now when, when patients um, talk to me about arthritis uh, or about psoriasis. But I've seen patients that actually can clear their psoriasis up by changing their diet. Um, so it's definitely not voodoo medicine at all. And they didn't need any kind of fancy biological medications that could have side effects. They just changed their diet. Um, and many times patients don't know that because they're not told that. So that is our job as healthcare professionals to educate them about that. I agree. I totally agree. I usually start with uh, this kind of recommendations, the diet, the losing weight, um, increased amount of sleep that they have, and some exercise to incorporate in their lifestyle. I give them a couple of months, and after that, I discuss uh, therapy with them. So you can have some room to, to work with the patient if the patient is not severely sick, or disabled, if it has uh, psoriatic arthritis that is mild, you should try. You should try diet and losing weight as the first line of, we call it therapy as well. Absolutely. So you said, speaking of therapy and treatment, you said that NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, are kind of first-line treatment a lot of times for psoriatic arthritis. Correct. Yes, that's correct. And they come to us after they've taken NSAIDs for many, many months. So they usually, that's the first thing that they do. They go in the pharmacy, they pick up something from the uh, over-the-counter. They know NSAIDs will cut down the pain and they don't know about the inflammation, but they know about the pain, the, the effect on the pain. So they use that for months, if not years until they, those medications do not work, and then they, they search for help again. Now tell us about some of the long-term um, side effects of, of the NSAIDs, because they're, they're available easily over-the-counter. Some of the names are naproxen, um, ibuprofen. Help me out, Dr. Granita. What, what am I missing? Which ones am I missing? Cyclofenac. Cyclofenac. Uh, 
over-the-counter, uh, ibuprofen, naproxen, meloxicam, all of these are available over-the-counter. And out of those, I would say, uh, with precautions, of course, naproxen is the safest one in terms of um, um, cardiovascular side effects. But all of them, they can have uh, side effects such as kidney failure, you know, I've seen patients losing their kidneys because of overuse and prolonged use of uh, NSAIDs and um, the gastrointestinal effects with perforations and ulcerations. I've seen that multiple times because um, that's something that happens in patients that they use it for months and the cardiovascular effect, which is not you know, was not sought uh, for a long time. But now we know that being on this medication for one year, just one year, continuous use of one year on NSAIDs will increase your cardiovascular risk. At least it will double it, if not triple it. Wow, that's interesting. So does and that... Like is the worst of them. Um, we categorize those medications into more selective uh, versus uh, less selective. And those ones that are less selective, like diclofenac, um, they have the worst cardiovascular risk. Well, and it's just a reminder, because there's a lot of people out there that take uh, NSAIDs daily and mm -hmm. chronically. And it's a reminder for us to educate them that might, that might, you know, you know, of the risks and the side effects. Yes. Um, doubling your risk of heart attack. I mean, cardiovascular disease is already a big issue in, in America. Um, we really wouldn't want to increase that anymore. So um, I appreciate you bringing that, bringing that up. So does that change your treatment, your first line treatment for NSAIDs, of, of using NSAIDs for psoriatic arthritis at all, considering it does double the risk of cardiovascular disease or cardiovascular accidents? Yes, I will use it uh, very cautiously and I will use it for, let's say, two weeks, three weeks at mm -hmm. the time. And then I will stop it because you can have psoriatic arthritis and not be in pain all the time. Psoriatic arthritis can flare up and then you can have periods of time when you have no pain. So it can evolve into um steps, I would say, or it can go and um, it can go away and then come back. I would use it just for a short period of time. I would not use it for years or months. You know, I would be very cautious. If you need a medication for months, then we have alternatives like, you know, even the methotrexate or the biologics that we can talk about. And if you have a lot of skin disease, because that's also important, using the biologics will hit you know, two targets, the skin and also the joints at the same time and inflammation in general. That will be the goal. That is, that is awesome to know. Well, Dr. Carnita, we have quickly ran out of time as we always do with you because you are so knowledgeable and talk so well about your subjects that um, it goes really fast. Um, we are definitely going to have you on again. Maybe we can dedicate an entire episode to just talking about nutrition and 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 diet and and um, how important lifestyle issues are. I know we've talked about that before in our first podcast a little bit, but I think uh, we could maybe dedicate an entire show to that. And I would appreciate you being back on to do that. Yes, and, I'll be happy to come back and talk about uh, diet. Cool. And so, Dr. Garnita, um, as we're winding up here, tell us tell patients how they can get a hold of you because you're. You're, you do online consultations, correct? 
Yes, I have a telemedicine company. It's called Rheumatologist on Call. And uh, my website is available, rheumatologistoncall.com. They can book a consultation if they are from the six states where I practice, which are California, um, Arizona, Texas, Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. Uh, more than happy to, to talk to them and see how I can help them or find solutions for, for patients. Awesome. Yeah, Dr. Kanita, I really appreciate you being on. Um, you know, as always, it was it was uh, very educational. That's what our that's what our goal is this podcast. So Thursday, stay tuned. We will have Dr. Elizabeth Lee on our podcast. She's going to be giving us an update on COVID, and that's um, obviously still a hot topic. So she's going to be giving us an update on that. Tune in because we're going to be at seven forty-five Pacific Standard Time. And, um, yeah. So anyway, tune in Dr. Granita. Um, as always a pleasure to have you on. You've been listening to health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. 